Now, the copy of God's Word, I invite you to open up to the first letter of John. It's 1 John, chapter 1. Our, our sermon text will be chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, but I'll begin reading in, in chapter 1 to establish some context for us. So, if you turn to 1 John, chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. This is the Word of the Lord. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Please pray with me and ask, as I ask God's blessing. Our Father, we do thank you for your word, which you have given to us. We ask now, by the preaching of your word, you would speak to your people, that You would give to us doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work which you call us to do. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. I wonder if y'all like exciting stories. If I had to hazard a guess, I would say that you probably do. There's there's a reason why uh, movies, television shows, novels, and uh, even today video games are so popular. It's because people like exciting, interesting stories, and they particularly like exciting stories about heroes who rescue others. One of my favorite stories from my youth is a book called Men of Iron. It's not about the superhero. It's about knights, men who wore metal armor. And it's about a young man in particular named Miles Falworth. And in this story, Miles is the son of a minor nobleman. And one day, when he's a little boy, an enemy of his father accuses his father of uh, engaging in a plot of treachery against the king. Well, this leads to Miles' family having to flee into exile. But friends of his family hatch a plan to restore the Falworth family to their noble status. They take young Miles and they train him to be a knight. They teach him all that he needs to know about fighting and about chivalry. And then one day they get the king himself to knight young Miles, and Miles ends up becoming a champion in his country. He fights in wars and makes a great name for himself. And then at the conclusion of the book, Miles challenges the enemy of his family to a fight, fight to the death to prove his family's innocence before the king. Miles, being a young, valiant, brave man, ends up winning that fight. 
He gains peace between his family and the king. Now, I don't know about y'all, but conclusions to stories like that really make me excited. It makes me want to cheer. I'm sure it does for you as well. And I think one of the reasons for that is we recognize and we desire a champion. Especially us as Christians, we recognize our great need for a champion to represent us before the King, God Himself, with whom we have fallen out of favor by our sins. We need a champion to earn restoration and peace for us. We recognize that we have that champion, don't we? We have that champion in the Lord Jesus Christ. And and that's what John talks about in these two short verses here in this letter. He talks about our champion, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're familiar with with the outline of 1 John, John takes you through uh, several different tests, if you will, tests to compare your life to, to see where you're at in your walk with the Lord, uh, litmus tests, so that, as he says in chapter 5, you might have assurance. John wants his readers to be sure of their standing with God. So the, the whole uh, thrust of this chapter is one of taking your attention and turning it to the Lord Jesus Christ over and over and over again so that you might develop more assurance. And here in these two chapters, John particularly shows us that Christ is your advocate and propitiation. And so you should look to him for assurance when you sin. Christ is your advocate and propitiation, so look to him for assurance of salvation when you sin. We'll look at this text. We'll divide it into two headings. The first verse we'll look at shows us that Christ is the advocate that sinners need, the advocate that you need. And verse 2 will be our, our second division. Christ is the payment that you need, the payment that sinners need need. And so, with those two headings in mind, Christ is the advocate that you need and and Christ is the payment that you need, let's turn our attention here to the Word of God. And John starts these two verses off by saying, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. You notice here John's very pastoral tone. Uh, calling his readers my little children. He's not being derogatory at all. This is a phrase of, of love and affection. It's a phrase of comfort. You see, because as we read here in, in the verses in chapter 1, John has, has just laid out some, some pretty strict tests for the people of God. He says that if you say you're walking in the light, but you walk in the darkness, you, you don't actually have fellowship with God. He says that if you... If you say that you haven't sinned, you've made God a liar. He's laid out these tests for people, and I'm sure John knows that his readers will see that and think, oh man, am I walking in the light or am I walking in darkness? Where am I in my walk with the Lord? And so John begins this section addressing them in a pastoral way, in a comforting way, with great affection and love and care for them. He addresses them as his little Children, And he tells them that 
He's writing these things so that they may not sin. He's writing these things in those verses which we read previously so that they may not sin. He has an expectation of holiness from these people. He wants them to grow in their sanctification. He wants them to see the beauty and the glory of God and all of his attributes, that God is the holy, holy, holy God, and that he wants his people to be a holy people. He's writing these things to you, dear Christian, so that you may not sin, so that you may look at your life and and how your walk is right now, and so that you may say, God is light, and in him there is not any darkness. Am I walking in the light as God is in the light? Or is my profession not matching up with my lifestyle? That's why John is writing these things, so that you may not sin. But, of course, John knows that thing about us, which we all know very well about ourselves. We do sin, don't we? We do sin. And John expects this. He expects when he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. The obvious response of the Christian is, but I do. I do sin. Oh, I don't want to sin. I see my sin, but I do the very thing I don't want to do. And the thing that I do want to do, I'm not doing. What am I supposed to do about this? I sin. John takes our attention immediately to the solution for that, doesn't he? John says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He expects your response to be, but I do. So he takes your attention immediately to the advocate that sinners need. He takes our attention to Christ. Look at the second half of verse 1. He says, but if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, this word advocate is a marvelous word. It's, it's an excellent word. The, the word that John uses here is a word that means uh, lawyer, basically, in the ancient world. Now, you might not think that lawyer is a great word. A fantastic word, but here the, the paraclete that Jesus Christ is tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ represents his people in the courtroom of God. You see, the paraclete was a lawyer in the ancient world, in ancient Rome. He would represent his client before the tribunal. He would say to uh, the judges, Oh, this man hasn't actually committed these crimes which he's being accused of. You see, here's his alibi and here's all the evidence to exonerate him. The the amazing thing about these advocates in the ancient world was once they contracted to represent you in the courtroom, they were there through the entire process. They didn't have the option of saying, Oh, this trial seems to be going badly. For my uh, own reputation, I'm just going to leave. You can find yourself 
another lawyer, another advocate. No, they were there for the entire process. And what's more, their presence there was meant to be a comfort to the people that they represented. The advocate stood there with their client through thick and thin, through the entire process. Here John tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ is such an advocate, one who stands by his people through all things, in all circumstances, one who will never leave you or forsake you, one who has, as it were, his arm around you through all these proceedings when you recognize your sin. You say, what am I to do with this? And you go before the throne of God to confess it. There is Christ alongside you as your advocate representing you, his arm around you, pleading on your behalf, saying, Father, this this is your child who has been redeemed by my blood, who has all of my righteousness. I've taken his sin from him. There is no punishment left for him. That is Jesus Christ, your advocate. Isn't that a great and glorious truth? You see, if for some reason tomorrow morning the FBI was to knock on your door and say, you've been accused of treason, you're being taken in, and uh, we're going to try you for treason and we'll be seeking uh, the ultimate penalty for that. Wouldn't you want a lawyer, the greatest and best lawyer, to come alongside you, to represent you, to prove to the court that you are not, in fact, a traitor? You would. We all would. That's the kind of lawyer that we would want. That's the kind of advocate that we have, the greatest and best. And we see that when John tells us here at the end who this advocate is. Our advocate is Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, I'm sure you've all heard that Shakespeare quote, what's in a name arose by any other name would still smell as sweet. That doesn't apply here because no other name in heaven or on earth is as sweet as the name Jesus. John here tells you who your advocate is. It is Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus the God-man. Jesus, which means Jehovah saves. God in flesh. The one whose birth we celebrate at this time of year. The one who took on human flesh and was born as a little baby and who lived his life perfectly for God. Obeying God's law perfectly in all ways and all aspects to be the spotless lamb who would take the sins of his people. This is Jesus, Jehovah says, and he's the Christ, the anointed one of God, God's Messiah, the one prophesied from ages past, the one who was long expected and who came to set his people free, Jesus Christ. And notice here this attribute that John ascribes to Christ, the righteous, the righteous one. Completely perfect and holy, spotless, sinless, undefiled. Exactly the kind of advocate that you need. That is 
kind of advocate that you have. If indeed you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the advocate which you have. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Perfect. Perfect one who represents and pleads your case and stands beside you. An advocate with the Father. There's a couple applications that we may take from this verse. First, as John says that he's writing these things to you that you may not sin, we should recognize the great importance that the Scriptures play in our sanctification. The Scriptures have been given to us as one of the the ordinary means of grace to help us grow in our walk with God. The Scriptures are those things which, which Christ prayed that the Father would sanctify us through. In John 17, you remember the high priestly prayer. Jesus prays, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. The Scriptures are given to us for us to know what we are to believe about God and what He wants us to do. So I ask you this morning, are, are you making use of this great gift which God has given you? Are you reading the Bible? God's given that to you to help you grow in faith, help you grow in holiness. Are you reading it or are you saying, well, I hear the Bible preached once a week or yeah, I kind of read it every now and then. Oh, this is a great gift of God. It's a great blessing from God. We ought to read it more than we do. Take advantage of that. It's, it's a great gift. So I encourage you, brothers and sisters, make use of this gift of God given to us for your sanctification. This text also, I think, gives us well, we should draw a warning out of it, I should say. Many people will look at this and say, well, if I sin, I have an advocate. So it doesn't really matter if I sin. That is completely wrong. That's, that's the sin of antinomianism, lawlessness, saying, I'll continue in sin so that grace may abound. That's not what this text is given to us for. If that's your attitude, then I warn you this morning, repent of that attitude. Jesus Christ is the advocate for his people. He's the advocate for those people who hate their sin and who love the Lord God. Not for those who say, ah, my sin's okay. I can live with it. Take notice of this. It's not a license for sin. It's an encouragement to flee to Christ for forgiveness. And this is also an encouragement for us to be quick in our repentance. You have an advocate with the Father. Now, many times people sin and then they think, well, I, I've got to do something to make up for my sin before I go confess my sin to God. No. You have an advocate with the Father. You have Christ the Righteous One as your advocate. Go quickly to the throne of grace. Don't hang back thinking that you have to make yourself better before you approach God for forgiveness. Go to Him immediately, quickly. As soon as you realize your sin and, and the heinousness of that sin before God, 
Quickly flee to God for forgiveness. Do that because you have an advocate who represents you. Do that quickly because of who Christ is and what he does. You see then this great advocate that you have. And frankly, if John had just stopped there, that in itself would be glorious truth for us this morning. But he doesn't stop there. He tells us something else about the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, not only is Christ the advocate that sinners need, Christ is the payment that sinners need. So look with me here at verse 2 where John spells that out. He writes here of Christ, He himself is the propitiation for our sins. Now propitiation is is one of those words I think that has kind of become Christianese. Right? Christians say propitiation all the time, but if you sit down and ask somebody what exactly does propitiation mean, it might be a little hard to get an answer. Because in context we all understand uh the propitiation has to do with the atonement. But what exactly is John referring to here when he says that Christ is your propitiation. He's telling you here that Christ is the payment for your sin, which makes peace with God. Propitiation is the idea of of peace with God. Christ is the propitiation, the payment which makes peace with God. Notice here at the beginning of verse 2, John writes that it is he himself who is propitiation. This is emphatic language meant to, to keep your attention focused on Jesus Christ the righteous. It is Christ the righteous that propitiates. It's not the blood of bulls and goats. It's no other man who propitiates for the sin of God's people. It is Christ and Christ alone. Christ is the payment that makes peace with God. And he's the payment for our sin. You see, our sin causes separation between us and God. The sin of, of Adam, our first father, is inherited by us. We have his guilt and the sin nature passed down to us. And because of that, we're born into a state that's in rebellion against God. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. And yet, in the fullness of time, God, out of His great love, sent His only begotten Son into this world to be this propitiation, to pay for the sins of His people. It's Christ who pays for the sins of His people. It's not animals. It is not other men, and it's not you either. You cannot pay for your sins. We have offended an infinitely holy God, and it takes an infinitely perfect sacrifice to make restitution. You cannot make God pleased with you by what you do. But that's good news. Because Jesus Christ 
by what He has done, has given to you all that is necessary for God to be pleased with you. God looks at His adopted children with all of the same love and pleasure which He has in Christ because we have been given Christ's righteousness. We don't need to try and make God pleased with us by what we do. We have Christ as our propitiation. And so God is pleased with us because of what Christ has done. Jesus Christ, the righteous, our propitiation. The payment that we need. But John also says here in verse 2, Christ is the payment which others need as well. Look at the second half of verse 2. He says that Christ is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Now, what is John saying here? Some people would take this verse to mean that Christ has made atonement for every single person throughout the entire world and it's their duty to accept that sacrifice, and if they accept that sacrifice, they will be saved. That Christ basically made salvation available to everybody, but he didn't actually purchase salvation in particular for everyone. Well, that's, that's a wrong understanding of this second half of verse 2. You see here, John is not writing of a universal atonement for everyone, he's writing of the particularity of Christ as the propitiation. You remember that I just said that this phrase, he himself, speaking of Christ, is, is for emphasis. It's emphatic because it wants all of our attention on the Lord Jesus in these two verses. These verses really are not so much about us as they are about Christ. So the focus here is that Christ is the propitiation. The focus is that Christ is the propitiation not just for us, but also for all the rest of the people for whom Christ has died. He's the only propitiation available. He is the only Savior for men. Not just the, the Savior for the original readers of this epistle and then everyone else has to fight, figure out a different Savior. He's, he's the Savior for the original readers of this epistle and He's the Savior for us. He's the Savior not just for men and women in the East, but also for men and women in the West of the world. He's the Savior not only for those in the past, but also for those in the present and those in the future. He is the only propitiation for sinners. That is what John's point is here. That Christ and Christ alone is the propitiation. But in saying that He is for the whole world, He also says that Christ is completely sufficient to save all who will come to Him and to save them to the uttermost. Christ is sufficient his propitiation is sufficient to save all who come to him in faith and repentance. He delights 
to save those who come to him. The Lord Jesus loves to save sinners. That's why he issued those proclamations. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's what John is emphasizing here. Christ is the only propitiation and Christ can and will save anyone who comes to him. He is the propitiation. And praise God for that. What a great and glorious gift. What marvelous love is this? We were dead in in trespasses and sins, in rebellion against God, hating Him, and yet He loved us and sent Jesus Christ for us. Christ loved us and gave himself for us, bearing the full wrath of God so that we would not have to. Well, this is marvelous. This is amazing love and amazing grace. Praise Christ for this propitiation which he has made for us. Praise him that he has made peace for us with God. He deserves all praise for this which he has done for us. As I said of the the first verse, there's a warning here in this second one as well. The first verse, we are warned against antinomianism. Christ is the advocate. And here in this second verse, we're, we're warned against legalism. Trying to save ourselves by our own Work. Are you trying to make peace with God by yourself? Are you trying to earn peace with God? John, John says, don't do that. Here, by inference, he says, Christ is the propitiation. You cannot make peace with God on your own. Why would you try to do that? Look to Christ. To Christ alone for propitiation. Do not try to make peace with God by your own deeds. Trust in Christ. He has made peace for you. Then, as you trust Him, when you love Him, the Spirit will work in your heart to lead you in those paths of righteousness and you will grow in your sanctification and your holiness. You cannot earn that peace with God. Christ Himself is the only one who could do that. He is the one who has done that. Trust Him. Look to Him alone. If you are not trusting in Christ right now. If if you've been trying to earn peace with God by your own deeds, or if you just say, I don't care much about my sin, I implore you this morning, come to Christ. Don't try to make peace with God on your own. Do not take your sins lightly. Recognize your, your position All those who who are not trusting in Christ are under the wrath and curse of God still. But here, in telling you of the advocate and propitiation, John summons those who are not believing in Christ and says to them, trust in Christ. Flee to Him. Turn from your sin and turn to Him. Ask Him for forgiveness. He offers it freely because He has 
made peace with God for his people and he will advocate for you through thick and through thin. This is the Savior, Jesus Christ, the advocate and propitiation. Come to him if you have not. And if you have, rejoice that he is your Savior. Rest in that fact. And when you sin, quickly repent of your sin and look to him. Trust in him that he has indeed made peace with God. This is one of those things which helps lead to your assurance of faith. This is what John teaches us about Christ in these two verses. He is the advocate and propitiation that sinners need. If you think back to my opening illustration, remember that I said that the young man's family was accused of treason, but they hadn't actually committed treason. They needed an advocate to make peace with them, or make peace for them with the king. We need an advocate to make peace with God for us. But the big difference here between the family and the story and us is that family was innocent in the story. We are not. How much greater is our need then for peace with the great king? Christ is the solution to this need. He's the solution to this need because he's the advocate and propitiation for sinners. And so, since we know that He has made atonement for our sin and that He advocates for us when we sin, we can have assurance of peace with God. This is a great blessing and a great truth. One which I pray you will take to heart so that you might indeed have peace with God, full assurance of your salvation, turning from your sin in repentance and faith. Turning to Christ, the advocate and propitiation. Let's pray. Lord, our God, we do thank you for the great blessing of Christ that those 2,000 years ago he was born having taken on human flesh, born as a baby, that he lived his life in perfect obedience to your law, doing all which was necessary to procure our salvation, that he died on the cross for our sins, bearing the full wrath of God which we deserved, that now he ever lives above to intercede for us as our great priest, the one who offered himself up as a sacrifice to satisfy justice and reconcile us to you, and the one who makes intercession. We thank you so much for him. We pray that we would honor him with our lives, and that when we sin, we would indeed look to him as our advocate and propitiation, repenting of our sins and turning back to you, so that we might have assurance, full and free, in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.